0: I'm matchmaker Maria, the founder of Agave Match. For over a decade, I've combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, I answer your dating and relationship questions and interview experts to give you the tools to find or keep the love of your life. This is Ask a Matchmaker. Welcome to the ask a matchmaker podcast. I'm your host matchmaker Maria on this week's episode. My guest is anonymous. I actually know who they are. They're actually a past coaching client of mine. I have seen them through a divorce, them being single and now a fun new relationship. I hope she could tell us more about it. But the reason why I have her on in this week's episode is because a couple of weeks back, I mentioned uh, my stories. And I think even on the podcast about IBLP which stands for the Institute in Basic Life Principles and anonymous reaches out to me and she's like you know i used to be a member of IBLP and i was like wait a second now suddenly so many stories and things that you've told me start to make sense i need to know more and as she was talking to me a little bit more. I said, okay, stop talking. Can we talk about this on the podcast? Because I find it fascinating. I think other listeners might find it fascinating, but also I think at the end of the day too, it's like learning from an anthropological perspective, how dating and mating is taught in a subculture within the United States. So without further ado, Anonymous, welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me on today, Maria. I'm excited to be able to chat about relationships from this perspective. I think um, I didn't realize because I grew up in it that maybe not many people would understand or have exposure to this. And honestly, if I didn't grow up in it, I probably wouldn't believe it.
0: (laughs) There's just so many things to uncover because um, I thought other things about you because you live, correct me if I'm wrong, you live in Utah. Correct. So I kept thinking, oh, she's, when you would say certain things, I'd say, oh, she's probably like ex-Mormon. Like I was just kind of like, mm, you know, shrug, which like, and I remember you sometimes saying I'm not Mormon. I go, not anymore. Like I, you know, like I would finish the sentence in my head and I was like, wait, what? Like, so I need to learn a little bit more about like, tell me more about your upbringing. because were you IBLP from birth? Were you raised IBLP in Utah? Is there a population of IBLP in Utah? What does, what does it mean to be IBLP? Like give give us, give us the monologue essentially of like your upbringing.
1: Yeah. So as far as, um, IBLP in Utah, I'm really not sure because I think once a lot of, um, a lot of people that I know, who were raised in this environment have left. And it is such a deep traumatic experience for them. Um, Even when I was talking to some of my friends about being on the podcast, they're like, I'm not ready to watch that documentary, or I'm not ready to talk about my experience. Um, I actually feel quite fortunate that I went through a divorce. And because of that divorce, I went and um and had therapy and I did EMDR, um which is uh which is a certain type of therapy for some really severe cases. So when I got out of my divorce, I actually had some PTSD, and I realized this at a specific moment um, when I was in so much physical pain and I needed someone to. Um, give me a massage. And I went to look at a website to see if I could schedule an appointment. And I was so triggered by even just the thought of someone touching me, um, that, and I realized I couldn't live my life like that. And I didn't want to cope around such a big, um, such a big
0: trauma. So take me back, take, take us back to like, you were, you were raised in Utah.
1: I my dad was actually in the military. Okay. And so we moved around a lot. We moved probably every three years. Okay. Um, None of my parents siblings were involved in this. Um, You know, none of the extended family was involved with this. This was just something that my parents discovered. And they discovered
0: um, when they were dating when they were married before you were born, like when did they discover IBLP?
1: Yeah. So when my mom was about 21, she had a religious experience through a Billy Graham conference. And so they, um, so my parents were religious probably in their twenties and maybe of the early thirties, but it wasn't until I was 10 years old that we joined IBLP. So they decided to homeschool my oldest brother in first grade and they were just using other curriculums up until that point. And I'm four years younger than my oldest brother. And, um, and then I was homeschooled my whole life. So they started homeschooling him in first grade. Um, I was homeschooled and, you know, throughout my whole education. And then probably what around fourth grade, we joined IBLP.
0: When you were being homeschooled, who was homeschooling you?
1: My mom. So, and it was very, a very um, loosely defined education. So we would do activities and say, oh, today we're going to go on a field trip. Or there'd be some curriculum that we would, you know, follow Um, but as far as I'm sure there was some testing with the state, but this was in the nineties. So we weren't allowed to go outside during school hours or our neighbors would report us for being truant from school because homeschooling wasn't as widespread as it was in the night, you know, during the nineties as it is today.
0: Okay. So if you did like school trips, it was after 2 PM
1: after 2 PM in the afternoon. So we were pretty much kept indoors, you know, during school hours and, um, you know, couldn't go out in public because people would ask, you know, why we weren't in school.
0: What subject matter was your mom really good at teaching you?
1: That, you know, that's an interesting question. I think she, I can't honestly think of one specific one, you know, because she took a few college classes and that was it. So she had a high school education and then it was very much just focused on, we're just going to do fun things and we're going to go have a field trip today. We're going to go see a museum or we're going to go see, um, you know, a state park or something like that. And then we're going to give our take on what we think this is.
0: Why did she, I, it's funny. Cause I, I asked that question. That's like, I want to first do the positive before we talk about like the negative, yeah. but you can't even come up with a positive And that's like, that's scary to me because then it's like, okay. Like, I just want to understand a little bit more about like, yeah, why did they, why did she choose, um, to, to homeschool? Was it, that it was like a, not like, was she also raised being homeschooled?
1: no. No, not at all. So my parents weren't raised like this. They just, I think they just found it. Um, So the story that they told me was, you know, when we were living in the St. Louis area, they didn't like the schools and my brother kept getting beat up. So they were just going to um, homeschool him for a year. And then they decided that they were going to continue homeschooling because that was easier with my dad's military career. So that was the story that, you know, that I was told and then, um, you know, and then they found IBLP and really latched onto that.
0: The IBLP curriculum. What do you remember about it? So
1: you can Google wisdom booklets and you can see some of the content in there. It's honestly appalling that it's considered curriculum. Um, I, so I just finished my master's degree. And I can't believe that I've gone from um, having, uh, you know, the K through 12 education focused on the wisdom booklets, and then being able to work through going to a classroom for the first time in undergrad, that was my first experience. And I couldn't at 18. And I couldn't figure out when my homework was due, if it was due in lab or lecture. There are so many social aspects of being homeschooled that really put me far behind. And the wisdom booklets um, really, it it was just honestly brainwashing because they would have some um, columns and, and it was all focused on what the Bible says. So, you know, they would find a science lesson and tie it into some biblical passage and all the different topics that they might have shown. um, It it really was just an opinion. It wasn't based on fact. It wasn't based in research. It wasn't really based in anything. And now that I've gone through more rigorous education, um, it's appalling to me that this would be considered possible.
0: One of the things that I think about, um, all the time as it pertains to dating is people being able to learn how to be emotionally resilient at a young age to establish community, establish friendships. If you're homeschooled and if you're hidden at home before 2 PM, what opportunities did you have as an adolescent in a building a community and friends and B, um, interacting like on a social perspective with other people?
1: Yeah. So for that, I would say our biggest opportunities were through church and Sunday school. And there's a program called Awanas on, you know, Wednesday night. So it really was focused on church. And then as we got older, probably more towards the high school years, we had, um, a co-op that we would engage with, with other homeschool, you know, with other homeschool kids. Um, So really your social circle was people who were in the exact same environment situation as you. And one of the most, I would say, insidious things about this is that it really was conditioned in you that um, the outside world just doesn't understand and you're being persecuted for righteousness sake because you are um you're doing what the lord wants you to do so there's a lot of um conditioning where you were taught not to trust your intuition
0: that's fascinating and it makes me it makes me wonder if you are not learning how to use your intuition What does that look like when you are at an age where your decisions have consequences?
1: Yeah, it's very much a formula. So, and I think this comes out later on, you know, when I got divorced, but you're very much taught that if you do A and B, then C is the outcome. And so if you you know, for example, if you get up at five thirty every morning and you have your quiet time, you read your Bible. You're, you know, you're saying your prayers. You're not having any sort of impure thoughts in your mind, and you know, very much. Um, you're taught to be submissive. You're taught to be meek. You are taught to be deferential always to that umbrella of authority around you. So um, it's honestly amazing. I went away to college and moved out from underneath the umbrella of my father's protection as an unmarried woman leaving my father's house and then going away to college. And that was, you know, one small way, even though I went away to a very strict Christian college, that was one small way that I started to leave that environment.
0: Did your parents um, want you to go to college?
1: I don't think that was an expectation of me. I honestly think that I could have, um, you know, focused on how to improve my, my baking, my domestic skills, my flower arranging and praying for God to bring that right man into my life. And focusing on, you know, what kind of help me I would be for him in life and really reducing myself down to um, how I would serve and support this man.
0: It's crazy you're using all of these words because there's just really, they're really foreign to me. Yes. Um, it, it's, it, you know, flower arranging, like what what high schoolers thinking about this. Um, I'm really struggling. And it's not a place of judgment. It's just like, (laughs) I feel like, okay, so the whole reason why we're talking about it's because we both happened to do two things in the last month. We both read that Washington Post article about these ex members of IBLP um, who opted not to homeschool their kids like they had, uh, you know, they were raised like you and put their kids in public school and what kind of a big decision this was. And I'll I'll include that link in the show notes if anyone wants to do like further reading. It's a really fascinating article, and it'll certainly put Anonymous's perspective into like context as well. Um, but the second thing that happened is we both happened to watch the documentary "Shiny Happy People," um, which is on Netflix. And time, and yeah, it's four episodes. Just, and it's funny because I, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but I thought watching this show. This documentary, it was going to be about this family that I remember my mom watching a lot, um, but it's actually not. A, it they're very they're minor characters in the documentary. It's so much more about IBLP, which uh, you know they have. It says here allegedly over 2.5 million people since its inception. That's a significant amount. That's a pretty big subculture that also has political ambitions and sways laws into power. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so, you know, yeah, it's just, it's so foreign to me hearing you think. So how about your brother? Like where's your brother in this? He's older than you. Did he go to college?
1: Yes. our two older brothers and both of them went away to college and they I feel like a lot of the focus was on them. And my experience is also very hard because as the only girl, I feel a little bit like nobody else saw what the problem was because it was all designed to benefit people like my brothers who um, I would say it's designed to benefit them as, as men, you know, because words like the patriarchy were thrown around in such a positive light you know we're like oh he's our patriarch or this or that so it's very much a culture focused on men right and so of course this culture benefits people like my brothers of course they're expected to go away to college of course they're expected to go into maybe a stem field um, where I have really no expectations placed upon me um and everything that I've accomplished in my life it's because I had that expectation of myself to achieve that and I did it despite not because of you know any sort of ex- expectation from my parents or the social the social group that I was a part of
0: so in this formula of life that you have lived right where mm-hmm. you know a is your parents low expectations of you and b your inability of understanding and tapping into your intuition because you've been socialized to not utilize that tool that we have. What does that look like for anonymous when she starts dating?
1: Oh, we don't date. (laughs) You court and the Lord will place upon your father's heart and another man's heart that, you know, you are the right partner for them so you sit around a lot, hoping and praying that, um, God will bring a husband into your life. And so, um, I can't
0: tell if you're like, this is like, a I'm not being sarcastic. If you're no, like...
1: I am dead serious.
0: So you were waiting around.
1: I chose not to, I chose to go away to college. And I said, well, if God's going to bring me a husband, he'll do it after I get my degree. Okay.
0: So- <laughs> So then what was that like then dating? Like, you know, for you, you. I just said this formula, A and B, what does yeah. this look like you meeting men in college? Is this your first time? Like in the high school co-ops, are you meeting boys? Yeah. Are you talking to anyone?
1: No, you're not supposed to. And you're supposed to look at all men like they're your brothers in Christ until this desire is activated within you. So basically it's like a switch. Sex is off limits like romance is off limits, any sort of impure thoughts is off limits. So you are being so repressed, and constantly kind of, I would say, living in fear of like these consequences of we can't be promiscuous. And this ties into the political agenda as well. So you're being so repressed along the way. And, you know, you can't look at any other boys that might be your age, because God is going to activate that desire in their heart. If that's right, because you're keeping yourself pure for marriage. So there's a whole, well, Dr. Holbrook talks about the purity culture. Yeah. It's very much what I experienced as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Dr. Holbrook so you don't,
0: is, um, for anyone listening who doesn't know Dr. Celeste Holbrook, she's amazing. She is a guest on my podcast a couple of times, look, you know, go a few episodes back. I love her episodes. She's so she's incredible. I love having her on, but keep going. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Yeah. So you, you court, you don't date. Um, this is all arranged through your father and, um, and so you're constantly striving to. Live a life that would desire or or would attract a desirable man to come be your protector and your caregiver, and someone who is supposed to understand and meet all of your needs. You don't meet your own needs, you're depending on someone else to meet those needs. So, I didn't really date in college. The college I went away to was, um, it was a an evangelical college so it wasn't necessarily iblp it was actually a little bit more liberal <laughs> than iblp
0: we evangelical could evangelical college being to- more liberal blows my mind hearing that
1: <laughs> yeah we could wear skirts to our knees um so that was considered more liberal
0: <laughs> why what did you wear before that
1: oh you wore you wore skirts down to your ankles no slits you don't want to have any eye traps that would Make a man um, be tempted in sin by lusting after you. So it's very much like everything that you wore was very regulated. So you never wanted to wear anything plunging, no slits. You cover your your arms, um, you know, all that stuff because it's very much on you. If a man decides that you are attractive, and you cause him to sin by lusting after you
0: um it's shocking how how you describe this is so similar to some documentaries I've seen of women uh from Afghanistan where they were they're imposed by their own government to wear mm-hmm. the burqa yes <laughs> because you don't want to, you know, eye traps, as you called it. It's,
1: it's wild. Crazy. All of this is coming out, like all this terminology that I have not used in a long time is coming out right now. And the interesting thing, too, when you talk about relationships, um, and also burkas, is how much is projected. So obviously, this is a high control group, but they want to distinguish themselves from, you know, a, a government that might impose the same things, and we are doing it with the correct religious intentions. So that's why we're different, and it's not similar at all. So there's so much, there's there's so many mental games going on here.
0: Yeah, but it's still like blaming the woman, correct? Right? Like it, it, you know, the rest is just costume right? Uh, You know, so to speak, it's, it's theater, but at the end of the day, it seems like the messaging on the same, it's like different sides of the same coin. And that coin is the messages that like men are not responsible for their actions, be it violent or unviolent. Uh, If you produce, if you, you know, if, if a man produces violent behavior, how did you ask for it? How did, you know, what did you do? And, uh, you know, it's you, the way you said before, eye traps, I could tell that that was a normal vocabulary word for you to use. You didn't just make that up just now, just in the way you said it. And me hearing eye traps, that's the first time I ever hear those two words together. Right. But you have been socialized with these certain words of how to understand your community.
1: Yes, and it's very interesting to me you know to me, even when you're just speaking about how so much is placed on the woman. This was in the wisdom booklets that we that we were using as part of our education that if you were assaulted and you were wearing something that you shouldn't have been doing, and you didn't cry out to, um, to God for help, then that was on you. There was so much, so much victim blaming. And even when I went through my divorce, the first time um, I even saw this power and control dynamic was when I was on um, the domestic violence website And this is the first time that I'd ever seen those graphs. And for me to reconcile um, this power and control dynamic in this environment and try to put together some of my experiences in this context was was a lot to process as a 30 something year old adult.
0: I guess I'm wondering if you're raised this way as a woman, what does this do to little boys and then young men and then adult men? in being taught their whole lives that one they're at the top. I mean, IBLP doesn't have a pyramid. It has an umbrella, Mm -hmm. right. And they're at the top of the umbrella. That's the diagram that I keep seeing. And I, in fact, you sent it to me too, a couple of days ago. Um, and then also like, I I just cannot, was your, um, ex-husband in IBLP?
1: No, he wasn't. And I think part of that was, um, when we got together, that was another step of trying to escape from there. But the behaviors were the same, right? There were some of the same behaviors, even though it wasn't, um, even though he wasn't homeschooled it, I believe being raised in this environment really conditioned me to pick someone like him.
0: Tell me a little bit more about him.
1: A little bit more about him. Um, So he was also in the military, like my dad. And, you know, going back to not trusting your own intuition, I think I finally, I think part of this was um, finding someone that checked all the boxes for not only my parents, but just like for my social circle at that time of like oh this person checks this box and this box and this box but you're not actually considering yourself in that equation what kind and of boxes so the job the status you know he was an officer he was in the military there was you know he we met in church there were certain things like that you know he belonged to the right political party Um, that they would, you know, agree with. And so I think that there were so many things like that, where going back to that political agenda, you know, I knew that at holiday dinners, there wouldn't be any disagreements there. So this was a candidate that would be acceptable to, you know, to my family and blend in. Um, versus trusting my own intuition and maybe actually considering for once in my life, what is it that I want out of life or out of a partner and going against maybe what uh, that environment of, of how I was raised.
0: How old are you when you met your ex-husband?
1: 26.
0: Okay. All right. Was he your first boyfriend?
1: I had a couple of boyfriends before that, but Um, nobody really serious. We dated long distance and got engaged within five months and we were married within 13 months of meeting each other. So it was very fast Mm -hmm. and going back to not trusting my intuition. I remember when he proposed and I specifically said, I don't want you to propose over this weekend. Let's just go look at rings together. And he proposed and, um, and he said, will you marry me? And I said, really? Are you sure?
0: <laughs> That's what you responded? That was my response. How, how old was he? You're 26. How old is he? He's two years older than me. So
1: he was okay. 28.
0: Did you already have your bachelor's degree?
1: I had my bachelor's and I had a career in DC that I loved. I was actually in politics. So that fit right in line with, you know, going to college getting involved with a political science degree and then going to D.C. to work with um, conservative nonprofits and then on Capitol Hill.
0: When you were in D.C., were you meeting other people just like you?
1: There definitely was um, there definitely was a social circle, you know, and um, and a whole group that you could get plugged into. They had a whole network of people that you could get plugged into. Some people were from IBLP. Some people were homeschooled, but it was all very similar philosophies.
0: At what point, um, in your marriage? Well, how you, you have children. So how quickly did we have Mm -hmm. kids?
1: Um, let's see. So I got married in 2013. Three years later, I had my First kid in 2016, and then 22 months later, I had my second kid.
0: Okay. At what point are we seeing the breakdown, and at what point are we seeing the effects of the sub community you belong to? I mean, I don't want to assume I, you know, but here you are. So at what point do we see a breakdown?
1: Yeah. So I would say during my divorce, my ex husband told me I was there on our wedding day, and then the chase was over. So for him I said that
0: to you during the divorce.
1: Yeah. When I was confronting him about all of his behavior and all the lies that he was telling me, cause he lived a double life. And what, that mean?
0: what do you mean? He had a double life.
1: So he had a whole double life. He was never faithful to me the whole time we were together. Um, even while we were dating, he was, I think during the, the divorce, I found out, you know, our whole relationship, he was um, having, so I'm trying to think of like all the different ways that he was involved with other, you know, other women, this this whole process. And that looked like, you know, phone sex, strip clubs, massages, going back to when I got so triggered after I had my baby, I was in so much physical pain And I couldn't even go get a massage to get relief because I was so triggered by um, some of the things that he did. Um, It looked like uh, financially, you know, he would lie about consumer purchases. There was no reason to lie about consumer purchases. Um, And then this all culminated with him. I, I found out he had a secret Twitter account and he had posted intimate photos of me. And I was in my last trimester with my second baby when all of this was coming down. He was deployed. I was wondering why we had debt that we were never paying off. And so I started looking into this and, um, you know, looked at our phone records. I was like, who is this, you know, what is this number? What is this number? Started Googling phone numbers. And then the whole thing just unraveled. And I was in my, calls? well, I was Googling the numbers and they were all for, you know, for escort services and other things like this. And I'm, you know, in my last trimester it's like seven months pregnant. and With then, a 21 month old with a 21 month old.
0: Mm.
1: And so when you talk about how this impacts your relationships, um, you know, the Bible talks about how, you know, if your husband isn't believing it's on the wife to continue to pray for, you know, to God and to keep doing what's right again, like this whole dynamic is being put on the wife. So I didn't know when to quit. (laughs) And I finally quit when I saw my photos online. I was like, this man is not safe. And I don't want to raise my sons with this as their role model and continue to perpetuate this violence and entitlement, um, you know, towards other people.
0: You really took my breath away here. So (laughs) he's deployed while this is all happening.
1: He, he was deployed. Um, so basically I found out I was pregnant right before Memorial day. He spent the summer away at a military training in Las Vegas for three months. And then, and then he had a, he was going to have a six month deployment. So I'm pregnant and, um, in the middle East East. Hmm. and then I was in Utah
0: So how do you confront someone who's like 12 hour difference?
1: Yeah. So I told them
0: hours.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Who knows what the time difference is, you know, now, but you know, who's halfway across the world and, you know, I couldn't believe this. I'm looking at stuff on a piece of paper in front of me and I can't register the information that I'm seeing and so I kept, you know, I kept looking. I got more and more pieces of evidence. I finally went to the office of special investigations and turned them in. So it's like Olivia Benson with SVU. <laughs> so what, with for the, the
0: military? military for the military. Oh, so you went to the military?
1: Oh yeah, because at this point, I had just gotten a job. I was two months into a new job. I had been unemployed for a year because of our move to Utah. And so I had just gotten a job and I was being adjudicated for a secret clearance. And I was like, I don't even know who I'm married to. Um, And so I didn't want to risk my job and I didn't want to risk being able to keep that job. So I turned my husband into OSI and said, "I, I can't look into this anymore. You need to investigate it. And so I have a Freedom of Information Act. I had to get a FOIA report to get my own report from the military Say what to say what they looked into.
0: Okay. Did you give birth by yourself? Yes. Was that planned because he was deployed or?
1: No, they, so he was actually in Utah and I told him, I'll let you know when you can come to the hospital and meet your son. And I chose to have birth by myself because I didn't want him there.
0: You're so strong.
1: I. <sighs> Women are incredible beings. And I think, you know, we all have more in us than we realize until we're in these situations. Because in that moment when I'm looking through, all of this evidence. And, you know, part of that report was like, victim turned over 600 pieces of evidence. I'm like, don't piss off a a pregnant woman. (laughs) You know, you just don't, it's like victim had over 600 pieces of evidence. And so this, I want to convey to you how deep this denial goes. With all of that, I'm still thinking in my mind, divorce is a sin. Can I make this work? I don't think I can make this work. And what, are there your, was, what
0: is your family saying while this is all happening? First of all, are you, you know, you're still an IVLP, right? At this point.
1: Um, so as an adult, I would say my family still is, I would say, affiliated, you know, with that. They would still, you know, agree with the curriculum and you know, continue to go along with it. And so even at, you know, at this point. I would say probably with with 2016 is probably the the turning point where I just said this system is not designed to serve me and then um it
0: takes a lot of when I was, to say that
1: yeah and then in 2017 is when everything was going down with my ex-husband and then I, you know, I chose at that moment, I said, this is going to be really hard, but it's going to be harder to stay in this. So you have to choose your heart. And I chose because I had a job, even though it wasn't, you know, that much money, I had a job and I was able to say, I'm, you know, I can move out. And so the military brought him back on Christmas Eve I had all of his stuff packed up in the garage and I said you can get out.
0: And was he expecting because, that? Or did he was this like a surprise? Like, welcome back to America, you're out.
1: Oh, they basically put a gag order on me and told me I couldn't tell him this. And then they pulled him from deployment. And then he was slapped with a no contact order and couldn't contact me or my son um, at that point because we didn't know, like you're basically finding out this person's living a double life and you don't know what's actually going on. And, you know, with security and other things like that, you don't, you don't know where this person's headspace is. And so I would say, you know, that's kind of all been cleared up, but in the moment, it's very, it seems Like you really got to figure out where this person's headspace is. And so he was, um, he was escorted home on Christmas Eve. I had my son at the end of January and then, um, you know, he had to go find a different place to live. And because I had that job, I was able to really start to rebuild my life. And I walked away from everything and just decided to rebuild
0: What does rebuilding look like?
1: I would say that I was actually surprised that my family was supportive of me getting a divorce. And I think it took them a lot longer to detach from having him as their son-in-law than it did for me. You know, because there's still, there's this, this formula. There's this dynamic of how this is supposed to look. And divorce is not supposed to be a part of that. Um, so going back to the shiny, happy people documentary, it, it doesn't matter what's going on behind the scenes, as long as you look good. And for me, this was such a hard thing to navigate because people were like, Oh, you guys, but you didn't look like that. Well, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, that you don't see in someone's relationship. And so that really opened up my eyes a lot to navigating abuse and to supporting victims and saying, "I believe you, even when you may not understand, um, you know, quite what's going on, because someone can look a certain way and then act completely different with certain people that are closest to them. So, I mean, we had the little, the little blonde boy and the golden retriever and my husband, my ex-husband was an officer in the military and I was active and, you know, volunteering and being that good supportive wife and that helped me for my husband. And so I think what that looks like sometimes is, um, it, you asked me earlier about how does this impact boys? and men, um, growing up in this. And while my ex-husband didn't grow up in this, I think that there were some factors in play, um, that made me almost the perfect victim for someone to exploit in, in that kind of situation.
0: What, what the kind of person you were in 2017 And Mm -hmm. the person that you are today in 2023, what are the differences? What's changed for you?
1: I think there's so many. Um, I would say some of the differences are that I'm stepping into who I authentically am and not apologizing for that, not apologizing for taking up space, not apologizing for owning what I want or what I don't want. Um, and also labeling things exactly what they are instead of, um, instead of maybe watering down the language or trying to make other people comfortable. If there's some sort of behavior that's going on, you know, calling out that behavior for exactly what it is instead of, maybe softening down that language so I think you might have seen some of that in the shiny happy people documentary as well where nobody is going to talk about the oldest son molesting his sisters they're just going to say we're going to send him away for some physical work and not deal with it
0: they don't even use the word molest
1: they don't that's that's the point exactly. They're watering it down and they're not calling it what it is.
0: You know, inappropriate touching, inappropriate
1: touching, yeah. and he just needs to get his heart right with the Lord through some service and some just hard curies. physical labor. Just, just curious,
0: He's a curious boy that's like I, that, that blew me. That, uh, well, how about like, well, at what point do you, you know, you're 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 mentioning about. And I want to learn more about this too, but you mentioned about, you know, finding, being authentically yourself, right? But like, at what point, you know, you kicked off today's episode by talking about your friends who are also ex iblp So at what point are you ex-IVLP? And at what point are you talking to other people of this? And like, what do you have in common of these triggers? Because I'm assuming that what you're experiencing and, and, you know, and what you're saying, which yeah. sounds very similar to some of the people that are in the Shiny Happy People documentary. But at what point is this sort of like new subcommunity from the subcommunity, you know, survivors or or ex IBLP? I don't know. You know, I want to like assume people are surviving. Um, what? Where is that communication? Where is that? Where does that line get connected? Where do the dots get connected? Rather.
1: Yeah, so I would say that I have probably two main, two or three, maybe a few more. I, I would say I have a handful of friends that I still keep in touch with from, um, from that kind of subculture. Mm-hmm. And we all want to move on with our lives. And for some people, you know, maybe it's just, yeah, we had a really difficult time and we want to kind of shove it you know, or stuff it down for me, because of my divorce and going through therapy, I actually started therapy thinking I'm here, you know, I'm here on a mission. I'm going to have 10 sessions, work through all my trauma with my ex-husband, resolve it and move on.
0: Woo woo. Yeah.
1: Ooh, ooh. Overachiever. <laughs> that's not how therapy works. <laughs> so I started to go through therapy and specifically doing EMDR. And as I was working through things, I kept wondering, I'm here for my ex-husband. How come that's not coming up right now in EMDR? Can you and tell
0: me more about EMDR? What does it stand for? And what is it?
1: Yeah. So I think it's, I need to look it up. I think it's app. Um, it's a specific therapy for like rapid eye movement and it helps you with processing. And so you go through the high levels, you have a specific triggering event. It's either your earliest or your most recent. And then you access maybe connected related events through whatever um, your starting point is. And then you reprocess with how you want to feel or how you need to feel um, on top of that. So maybe your trigger could be you feel a specific way about yourself very strongly. You know, maybe it's I'm worthless or something like that, or I don't deserve to take up space. And then you reprocess and then um, it helps kind of desensitize uh, desensitize you to that trigger. So you're still aware of your triggers, but you're not, um, totally incapacitated when you You have have
0: control over the narrative of it.
1: Correct. And, um, so it's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Um so as I was going through that I was thinking all the stuff about my ex and the recent situation would come up a lot of it actually that came up was about IPLP and in about um the beliefs that were brainwashed in me and so it actually was a huge opportunity to unlearn all of that stuff that was b- brainwashed
0: but you're using the word brainwashed. Like at what point do you identify that you have been brainwashed? Is this during EMDR?
1: Yes. So literally after I handed over 600 pieces of evidence and told, you know, the social workers and other people like, oh no, this isn't me. I'm not a victim. <laughs> I don't need your help today. I'm literally going through all of that and not recognizing my situation. I'm going, I, it it really was through several years of EMDR therapy that I was unlearning all of these beliefs that were instilled and forced upon me.
0: Like what? Give me one.
1: Um, Give you one. That's hard to pinpoint. I would say you know, even about like um, a woman's role in a relationship—that you are supposed to be submissive—and I mean, now there's other fun ways.
0: To <laughs> now there's what? Now there's other fun ways to be submissive. <laughs> but, sure. um... Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned years of EMDR when it's like you originally yeah. started this saying therapy, like, "Oh, I'll do ten sessions and I'll be done." Woo, woo. And it's like, no, it's, it's it's taking you years to like unlearn. Yes. What your role is in a relationship correct and
1: so how are you supposed to pick an appropriate partner you know how are you how are you supposed to pick an appropriate partner um but also when... how's an
0: appropriate partner supposed to find you if you're easily manipulated
1: Manipulated,
0: right yeah. manipulated um it, even the guys the good guys they don't the the emotionally resilient and and well, men, they're not, they, I don't think it's just like, it's not our job to teach men how to be better. It's not their Mm -hmm. job to like, and like on you. Right. And so it's like, how does the appropriate man even find you if you've got the walls up and if your, your understanding of what needs to be in a happy relationship is just insanely different than their understanding of what it takes to be in a happy and healthy relationship.
1: Yeah. I, I would say that it's nearly, it's nearly impossible. And when I look at what my options, you know, what my options were, you're either finding someone where there's a imbalance in the power dynamic here, Or you're finding someone that you are going to trauma bond with. Mm. And neither of those are really good options for a healthy, successful relationship. When, you know, when you're choosing to start the relationship at that point.
0: Do you think, um, what else do you think changed about you from like a social perspective? Like, you know, you mentioned before that you worked in DC for, I guess, a conservative think tank or something. Um,
1: Yeah, so a conservative nonprofit, and they had, you know, a political arm as well, a think tank. Um, And then also for very conservative member of Congress. Um, And that was, that was a really interesting experience to really get to see behind the legislative process behind the political agenda. Um, That was really going into that and seeing the long, this has been a long game. So everything that is happening this year and in recent years in terms of legislation, initiatives, none of this catches me off guard because I could have told you a decade ago that this was the plan that they were working towards.
0: Wait, I feel like something's missing here. What's the plan? Like, what do you mean? Like, like, is the plan like, you know, right now what I see from my perspective, living in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. is that there are certain states, because I don't live in that state, in these states, but there are in certain states where a woman's right to her own healthcare decisions is being stripped away. And and in fact, it's just, you know, her, her right to privacy um, is being stripped away. And similar to, um, you know, children that, um, excuse me, parents that might have children that are intersex or as trans, their privacy is being stripped away. Um, and I'm just wondering, um, is, is the sub community that you used to belong to and similar communities like that? Um, is it just to, w- what's the goal here? Is it just to create a, to just have control over a gender like what's what's the what's the end game here like I just never understood like why someone gives a fuck what I do with my own body like if you like in my mind it's always been and maybe it's because I was raised in New Jersey with like insanely liberal parents but like my idea was like if you don't want an abortion just don't get an abortion like why is that any of my business what you do with your body like I cannot fathom caring about someone else like that, like their decisions, because I'm not going to raise their kid.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think I might have told you before my very first pregnancy was actually ectopic. No, and I didn't know that. So yeah, so my very first pregnancy, I had three pregnancies and um, my first pregnancy was ectopic. I had no idea what was going on. It was about seven weeks so long. And um, I was in so much pain, I've never felt that kind of pain before in my life. And so I went into work for two hours, and then finally caught a cab to the ER. And, um, and through that experience, you know, I, um, they found like my hormone levels were fine. And then they finally did an ultrasound. And they're like, Oh, it's in your tube, this isn't viable, we're going to have to terminate the pregnancy. And in my mind, I'm thinking, isn't there something you can do? Because I didn't have sex ed. I didn't know how my body works. Like none of this stuff, you know, like I taught myself everything. Everything that I learned was from my own research. None of this was provided for me. And so as a, I don't know, 28, 29 year old, I'm going through this experience And I, they said, you need to operate now or you will die. Right. There's no saving this pregnancy. You know, we're, we're so sorry. And you have to, um, we have to operate or you're going to die. And so I had to sign the papers to terminate my own pregnancy And you can imagine the type of trauma. If you're living a life where a plus B equals C always, I'm trying to figure out what I did that caused me to be in this situation.
0: Oh my God.
1: And I'm going under anesthesia and I can hear the nurses talking about how upset, you know, I was and how I was crying and how I took it so hard and My last thoughts, you know, before the surgery, you know, as as everything was fading out, was what if I've been on the wrong side of this the whole time? What do you mean? As far as like working in politics, working for anti-choice legislation. (gasps) What? Like?
0: Oh my god! You saying that? I thought like something completely different. Wait, what?
1: No. So So wait. So hold up.
0: This surgery you're about to have. You're about. You're getting gassed up. So up until yeah. this moment, you didn't even know what it, you didn't have such a sex education. I you didn't no, know I, about your fallopian tubes is what I'm hearing.
1: I mean, this, this all came to you know, me like after college,
0: not K through 12. There's no, you know, no homeschool right. sex ed. But what I'm saying though, is like, as you're yeah. prepping, as you're going to the ER, which these things are so quick, right? Like it's so it's such a quick, God forbid, you know, it bursts. Like, you know, we're
1: it was rupturing when right. they operated on me. Oh my God. So
0: I guess like in my mind, like you saying that is just like kind of mind-blowing because these are like really quick. It's almost like watching like a, a brain cell, like like a neuron yes. create itself because you're going like as you're rolling into the E O R, you're thinking, what did I do? to cause this to myself. But then yes. as they're putting the gas on your face, you're saying that your last thought is what if I have been on the wrong side of the legislative yes. experience that would deny a woman? um, Right. Is that what you're saying?
1: Correct. Yes. Correct. What if I have do you know how insane Been that is? Av-
0: like we're talking about like a, what, a 20 second difference between the two most extreme thoughts?
1: Yes. And how I'm thinking, I am thinking I'm doing the Lord's work over here and, um, you know, legitimately thinking that I'm, I'm doing something so good and my legislative experience and as a staffer and advocating for different things, grassroots campaigns and then getting to the point where it's my life on the line and I'm about to go under and realizing like, what if I accidentally helped pass legislation that would interfere with the doctor saving my life right now?
0: And at this point, Anonymous, you only, you have no kids. Like imagine in this scenario, if you already had your first son yeah, or you're, or you're two, both of your kids and now it's like, oh, my, my third pregnancy and this is experiencing... My, like, it's not even about you anymore. Your children could grow up motherless.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely, that was definitely one of the turning points for me. There's so many small turning points that it's like, I chose to take that step in that moment or I chose, um, you know, I chose to start thinking differently, So when we talk about, you know, what's the goal, why would anyone care? I think they really truly believe that at some point, you know, God bless the, you know, God bless the people who founded this country because they all believed in God. And, you know, at some point along the way, America really started to fall away from God. And so they believe it's their own personal mission to make America return to this, um, basically a theocracy and ensure that everyone is living righteously within the land so that, um, God can fully bless it.
0: I mean, from my own personal perspective here, I've always found it very fascinating, um, watching a sub community in America. Um, I'm not gonna say who, but very similar to what we've been talking about today how like they're really obsessed with like Israel Mm -hmm. and how a lot of Republican candidates, they will go to Liberty University or Bob Jones University to announce their candidacy for president Mm -hmm. of the Republican party. And it's because like, I always thought, oh, you know, up until a certain point, I guess I always thought, oh, America just wants to be cool with Israel because we want to be cool with some countries. I don't know, you know? Jewish people live in America. Why wouldn't it be cool with Israel? I, you know, like, this is my mm-hmm. way of, you know, very basic understanding of like, you know, international relations. And and I actually happened to get a bachelor's degree in international affairs and my master's degrees in global affairs. And I just remember at some point, I think it was like 21 years old where like this switch flips. I was around when, um, George W. Bush was running again for, for reelection. And there's just the way certain a certain subcommunity was like really all about Israel. And I was like, you're not Jewish and you're not Palestinian. Yeah. So like, why do you have, why do you care about the United States relationship with Israel? Like the way you do, like, I don't think Polish people care about like, you know, the US's relationship with Greece like, you know, I just couldn't wrap my head around. And then it was like, someone explained to me like, well, you know, that subcommittee believes that the rapture is going to, you know, the apocalypse will be a positive yeah. you know, rapture. And I'm like, okay. And it's like, well, you know, if you're cool with Israel, you know, get front row seat to heaven. And I was just like, that is the dumbest shit
1: I've ever <laughs>
0: heard in my life. And to see an entire political party trip over themselves to for a certain sub community, which by the way, like 30% of that voting block. Right. So it's like a massive voting block. It's not like, I'm sure I will get like a one-star review doing this episode about this. Okay. Because like I've gotten it before from the sub community before. And again, this is my own personal perspective. I'm, I'm okay to be wrong. I don't think I am because there is, it's a, it's a 30% voting block. It's a massive voting block. And the way one political party trips over themselves about Israel, but it's never for the Jewish people in that political party. It's for a Christian community. That's mm-hmm. just really obsessed with Israel. That's just like, it blows my mind.
1: Yeah, and I think that part of that too is that it's like, well, if you are friends with Israel, God's going to give you a special blessing. Right. And <laughs> you know, so it's it's very interesting. There are
0: there are is there are atheists that currently live in Israel.
1: Correct. But we're just but going to like go that. But, but they we're don't, but like they're not getting a front row to heaven. Right,
0: right. right. <laughs> they're, they're cool with Israel in the in the, in the in the uh, political sense because they live there. I'm assuming we'll pay taxes, yeah. whatever. But hey.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think there's so much. There's, there's like a lot like of mental cherry. gymnastics, is what I'm saying. Correct. You cherry pick so many facts about what you choose to want to believe and what you don't. And so even if, you know, I talked to my mom. I'm like, "Hey, Mom, you know, I got an abortion to save my life." She's like, oh that that wasn't an abortion. I was like, they terminated pregnancy, and you know what you, you got
0: know, in like I think three states right now is illegal yeah.
1: well, and I even unless know, you pass
0: out in the parking lot, they're not taking care of you
1: and I know someone in Ohio actually who you know was a part of the state legislature that passed a bill that tried to make, it's not even scientifically accurate because because I asked (laughs) before they did my surgery. He should be your first red flag. He who is not a doctor and who has never, you know, had a a pregnancy, the state um, legislator in Ohio created a piece of legislation to try um, to force women to get that embryo reimplanted in your uterus—that's not medically the possible. T- it's impossible. So the stuff isn't even based in science. I was like, I had an ectopic pregnancy, and that's not possible. And. And so what was so scary, I think Texas was leading the way on all of these, um, you know, on all these bills with the, the bounties on women, which is so terrifying oh, right. because to, to me at that point, um, I was between seven and eight weeks along. And this was within that six year mark where someone could have reported me for a bounty. According to the Texas legislation, when I looked at what was being said, and I just wonder, like, why, you know, why do you hate women so much? And I personally also know of people who have been forced to carry unviable pregnancies two term and a lot of wow. these late-term abortions happen after that 20 week checkup when you are checking to see if if stuff has been developing properly. So I just
0: don't understand. I really struggle to yeah. understand the goal of all this. But let's go back to you. Like let's let's I know we're like we're really veering off and, and I love it by the way. I, I love talking to you. <laughs> but um how does this where are we today now? Like we got our master's degree. Yes. Um, we have friends who don't want to watch this documentary because they feel triggered. Did you feel yeah. triggered watching it? There
1: were two places that I felt triggered. Um out of the whole documentary. So for me, I watched a lot of it. I was like, hmm, yeah, that's pretty accurate. That reflects my lived experience through this. There was none of it that was sensationalized. Everything seemed, uh, seemed to track what I lived. The two things that actually triggered me were when they were talking about how the mom um, changed her voice and really made it like she, she kind of like, infantized it was like, Okay, well, now we're going to do this. I told my friend that and she's like, Oh, I just had a physical reaction. And so um, she's like, I had a physical reaction when you just did that right now, you know, because Why why does she do
0: that? And I've seen a few people talk about that. Why does she And the word that they keep using is meek. And in fact, I actually, when I was watching the documentary, I had to, I thought I knew what the word meek meant, but no, I had to actually look it up and I was like, oh, okay. All right. Why would someone want to be meek though? Like, what do you get out of this? I guess it's to show the hierarchy in like a physical way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So there's two passages in the Bible that are cited a lot. One is Titus two and um, one is Proverbs 31 and all my Catholic friends are like, we don't read the Bible. I uh, <laughs> it's like, I've read it from cover to cover, you know, this is, and when you're done, you read it again. And so this is the standard, um, you know, this is a standard that's set up as, you know, Proverbs 31 and Titus two woman who is very, you know, meek and submissive, deferential, you know, you're never raising your voice in anger. You're always even keel. And so it's, um,
0: y- See, you this really have. IBLP would just never have a foothold in Greece. <laughs> I, I, I yell, I yell when I'm happy. Like.
1: Yeah, it's it's very much trying to fit everyone into one mold. And one thing that came out to me um, that came out in therapy was my therapist told me, if you never feel any of your other, you know, emotions, if you never feel your anger, then you can never truly feel your joy either. Mm. So when you're really diminishing yourself, when you're really suppressing all these things, you're losing out on your full range of emotions because you're only here you're only in a very narrow, very regulated, very controlled set of emotions. So I'm not sure, honestly, why that triggered me to hear that about her voice and how she was speaking. But something about that triggered me. And I'm sure I'll go through that in therapy.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's insane. How are you now with your ex-husband?
1: I mean, we're, we're co-parenting and, you know, I think this is just, um, I have sole custody of our kids. And so I, um, try to allow him opportunities, you know, to, to step up and, you know, and to be involved. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of the emotional burden is on me to make it, to make it work. And at some point, you know, when the kids get older, um, that will be less and less. But for me, with my kids being so young, I feel like a lot of that emotional burden is still on me to regulate the dynamic and make sure that it's stable.
0: Do your kids go to public school?
1: Yeah, so one's going to start second grade in August, and the other one's going to start kindergarten. So yeah, my kids are going to go to, to school and public school and um, I'm really happy with their education. And I, I think it's so great, especially after completing my master's program in education of um, seeing how, how much educators do care about kids and um, what a treasure they really are to invest because it is such a thankless job and they go above and beyond. And so I'm really grateful for my kids, um, teachers.
0: Do you think you've had to unlearn um, things that you understood about schooling while your kids are going through school?
1: Oh, for sure. And I think some of that was through my graduate program as well. And how how can we make education more inclusive and accessible? You know, how can we understand everybody else's background, like the different backgrounds that you're going to have coming together in a classroom and help each child be successful? Um, So I think that there's a lot that I unlearned and a lot of it had to do not only with having kids and figuring out what kind of parent I wanted to be and how I wanted to raise them, but also through my graduate program and exploring different learning theories um, I think part of that on learning as well comes from how much fear IBLP instills in you for different, um, different departments, different agencies. So even like, uh, the department of education, you know, for, for that, like they really do want to dismantle a lot of these different departments, mm. um, and, anything that they can do to undercut that they'll do.
0: It feels like they are in a lot of States. Totally.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Let me ask you one last question because I feel like what you touched upon today. And I think maybe, you know, people could really learn from this is that in this whole journey that you just shared with us, um, the one thing that I've learned about you is that you had to learn how to be authentically yourself. Mm -hmm. So What advice would you give to someone who is in the process of learning that for themselves too, learning how to be authentically themselves?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, life is life is really short. And you're not promised anything in life. So if you want something, you should make it happen today. You know, don't don't put it off. Don't you know, delay because of what you think your community or other people around you might want, like this is your life, you get one shot at it. And you should, um, you should make the choices that serve you best in life. And for people who are on the other side of this, who are maybe struggling to understand this type of environment, Um, I'm coming today with years of unlearning a lot of this trauma. So I would say the best thing that you could do if you have someone like this in your life and you're really struggling to understand them is to, um, to keep the door open because for me, my, my life was really, um, like Obliterated, you know I I had to start over and a lot of people aren't willing to take that risk to lose everything to start over to lose a community that maybe doesn't even like love them that much isn't behaving in loving ways um but it's still a loss and um and I would say that if you're on the other side of this and you have someone like this in your life um you know, to, to try to leave the door open. So there may be a day someday where they come to you and, um, but it's going to be a long process. It's going to be a long process to unlearn this. And I would say also that you should not dilute your beliefs to make other people comfortable.
0: Anonymous. Thank you so much for sharing your story today on the Ask a Matchmaker podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you are experiencing mental health issues or domestic violence, uh, you can text start to 88788. This is the domestic violence hotline. And that support starts by you just sending a text start to 88788. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Be safe be lovable, but more importantly, be likable. See you next week.